Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, we are back. Episode two of the week. Uh, trade deadline has passed and it was not the drop, uh, drop dead awesome trade deadline that you know we usually have but it was more of the subdued there's going to be a lot of trades a lot of picks moved and as I said on Wednesday it's going to be more of shuffling chairs than anything is that how you are perceiving this trade deadline now that the dust has settled yeah I think because we got big trades earlier this season we we got the James Harden trade very early in the year then the OG Ananobi trade the Pascal Siakam trade it was unlikely we were going to get massive um, trades at the trade deadline because teams are in kind of a mode where there's a lot of teams in contention. So those stars aren't available. There's also a teams are holding on to draft picks a little bit more. So that's not probably going to be a thing that happens as much. And then lastly, there is this uh, the belief out there Um, which is something I also agree with that it is far um, easier to make those massive trades in the summertime. When you have expanded rosters, you maybe have a team or two that is sitting on cap space, which will act as a facilitator for contracts and the like. So that all of that adds up to star trades. Just they generally don't happen. I know we got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant last year at the trade deadline. And I think that maybe warped things a bit. For some folks, but that's not a regular thing. All that said, wow, was there a lot of moves, a lot of role players moved around, um, some really interesting moves for some teams. Some teams certainly got better. There's a couple teams I'm still kind of scratching my head at and not fully grasping what, what the bigger picture is here. And, you know, there's still a lot of work to come, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show, too. Yeah, the other aspect is the the, the picks if we wait until the 24 draft hits, then we know what conveys and what doesn't. So that opens up a lot more doors going into the summer, uh, which may allow for those bigger trades, as you've alluded to. Plus you could do sign in trades and, you know, not everyone is handcuffed going into, into July. So um, I, I think more teams were probably hesitant right now and waiting to see what the summer can open up. Um, the, the, the thing that I noticed was, there were certain teams that were just almost in every trade, a la the Detroit Pistons, the Utah Jazz, the you know Memphis. It was a lot of the same teams jockeying for you know those picks. We saw picks that were as far out as 2030, second round picks, some 28, some 29s. So you know teams are trying to pull more so Detroit the. Oklahoma City, Thunder, I'm going to get as many picks as I can in my queue so that I can jockey in the future. And, you know, I, I'm curious to see. I know, I, I believe Bobby Marks was the one that said, what, seven or seven to nine teams owed or owned uh, 75% of the picks. I'm 11. curious. 11. I'm, I'm curious to see what that is now after the dust settles because Detroit's got a lot more picks. And, you know, it, it, it's going to cause a lot of teams to have to pay and use their cash to probably buy some of these second round picks in the future because you know everyone you know that's supply and demand 
Yeah, I think, too, you've also got to factor in the challenge of second apron teams. They can't use cash in trades a- anymore. So the, the days of buying picks, um, it, that's over for them. Now, now what's happened is effectively all of these second apron rules, the ones that were even the phased-in rules that were coming that we've talked about quite a bit on this show, those are all – they're all basically in effect now. Um, what, how those phase-ins work is they are when the team season ends this year. Well, nobody can make trades anymore. Uh, the, the signing restrictions were already in play uh, for this season anyway. So now we're really to, all right, our next window is when team seasons end. That's when they can start making trades again. Then obviously uh, so we, we'll see uh, signings and the like come in the summertime. So we're, we're going to start to see really the full impact of these second apron rules and what they all mean for the the uh, league as a whole um here and i definitely think we had a handful of teams say uh we maybe we don't want to make that move right now we maybe need that contract to be tradable uh next summer whatever it is so i think we're in an interesting spot the draft pick stuff it's you know we're, we're still catching up obviously there's you know anytime we have a big transactional period the draft picks and everything for the future take take a little while to catch up to because you know we, we get these reports of they traded a protected 2027 pick or a more favorable 2028 pick and it's like more favorable of what and then we have to go through all of it and figure it all out so that'll come but yeah i, I do think there is going to be a lot of stuff at play with draft picks and, and it's going to start to look a little different than it's looked in the past uh, several years and what we're used to covering the league. Before we dive into some of these trades itself, you made a good point of as soon as the season is done for a team, they could technically make trades again. So with the rules that you've, you've indicated the rules, if you know, we've had a few trades in June for sure that have gone, you know, official, are they still going to be operating by the June or by this current year's CBA uh, rules, or is it going to go forward where they can't use cash uh, or does the not use cash apply on July 1? No, that all is basically in effect as soon as their season ends. That, okay. That's when all that is. So take a team like the Golden State Warriors, for example. Let's say they don't make the play-in tournament. Let's say their their season ends uh, in in April when, when the regular season ends or they lose in the play-in tournament. They're out early. Let's say they have a deal where it is, geez, you know, we, we can make this trade right now. We could trade Andrew Wiggins and uh, Moses Moody. I'm just pulling names together and go get this player because that other, that team season is also um, over as well. I think what is um, interesting about that is they can't do that anymore. <laughs> they, they, they can no longer aggregate salaries together to go make a trade that, that they could do it all the way through yesterday, but now no more trades are allowed till the season's over. And then those second apron restrictions, they kick in as soon as the team season ends. Why they did that was, they didn't want they they basically were saying, hey, this season, which is inclusive of the trade deadline, you will be able to go through um, and make your moves. But we're really calling the end of your season, meaning the regular season or your playoff run. That's the end of the old CBA rules for those teams and everything. All the new stuff 
the the things that were being phased in that all pretty much kicks in starting then so we're, we're just in a little bit of a different world now uh, with some of these teams and they're going to be operating in a different place here uh you know really now and in, in moving forward if you're up and up and over that second apron or even around it yeah that's a good way to cover that loophole because then you'd have all those teams using the current rules in the in june so that's good. yeah and the draft is kind of like you said we see some some uh changes that that get get that get uh made or trades that get made in in the uh while teams are still in the playoff runs uh it's maybe one every couple of years but what's the next big window is the draft and what they wanted to do is make sure those teams and those restrictions were in uh at the draft so that that that's why they did it the way they did it i believe i've counted 18 uh trades since february 7th so i'm doing the day before the deadline too so 18 trades two three teamers that i believe were in there yes two three teamers and uh let's just Let's just pick a few. You're, you've been doing, you know, a thousand to two thousand word write-ups <laughs> on all of these trades, which has been awesome. Uh, we're We've got more to as, come too. There's, <laughs> I ran out of steam last night and had to get some sleep. So, oh, I'll, right, yeah, rightfully so. After it. you did a three-hour live show uh, and then dove right into writing, so let's just go through a few of these trades. Uh, let's start with the which one do you think is going to be the most impact-oriented for? Uh, a team or a player. Yeah. And, and that's a good way to put it. I, I think it's the Knicks getting Bogdanovich and Burks. I think, I think that's just a really smart move in both the immediate and long-term for New York. Uh, what they effectively did was add depth to the team. Uh, it, it takes on an immediate importance because OG and Anobi, we found out yesterday uh, right around when the trade deadline was wrapping up. Um, but after this deal was agreed to, but I'm sure it's something the Knicks knew going in, uh, he's going to miss at least three weeks. He had elbow surgery to clean up some uh, loose bone fragments in his elbow. Uh, and so it's three weeks before he'll be reevaluated. So it's probably more like four, maybe five weeks. Julius Randle's still out. His his timeline's a little uncertain on when he'll be back. So Bogdanovich, as soon as he's in New York and probably has learned a couple of plays and a couple defensive coverages, he's probably going to be right out there playing because they, they need him on the floor. And then getting Alec Burks, big addition for a guy who's going to really be able to, I think, be asked to play the Emmanuel quickly role, which is, hey, give us some scoring and playmaking off the bench. That That's what we need out of that spot. And they did all of that without giving up a single first-round pick. They also didn't give up a first-round pick in the Anobi trade, which is kind of remarkable, uh, too. And they, the only rotation guy they gave up was Quentin Grimes, and he had kind of lost some of his shine in New York. He wasn't playing quite as much. He'd been moved into a backup role, was, was struggling a little bit to adapt. So New York did really well to add these guys. And if nothing, nothing else, they rolled over Evan Fournier's uh, $19 million tradable salary into – Bogdanovich at $19 million in tradable salary for next year, uh, provided that they, they pick up his, uh, his guarantee and, and make his deal fully guaranteed. So I think New York came away you know, with great stuff at this trade deadline. Charlotte is a team at the bottom. They made some moves. They acquired th- uh, four players, two second round picks, uh, five, sorry, five players, two second round picks and a 27 first, uh, Gordon Hayward goes to Oklahoma city. Uh, I, I think that's a good deal for Oklahoma City, and they really didn't give up too much to get him. Um, and that was a team I was hoping to see would sort of make 
a move, and that was the move that they did to just help them have depth going into the, the postseason. Uh, what do you think of that move for Oklahoma City? And then on the backside of that, the, the Charlotte moves is, is this, you know, the new owners uh, trying to you know, do what they can to set themselves up for the future. Yeah, I, and, and I think we're kind of starting to chain together a few teams here, which is is a good way to think about it because it rarely is a trade just made in a vacuum, right? It's usually made within a construct of, all right, we also did this and this and this. So if we start with the Thunder, I, I was pushing that they add a bigger player. I wanted to see them add someone with size that could play alongside Chet Holmgren as well as back him up. They apparently didn't feel like that guy was out there. I think they also liked the idea of playing Holmgren as a single big because that reduces the chance that a team puts somebody on him who can defend him on the perimeter. Uh, what we've seen teams do to the Thunder and had uh, varying levels of success with is they don't guard Josh Giddy. So when he's outside, they basically kind of say, go ahead, fire away. And if we lose because Josh Giddy makes four or five, the uh, three pointers will tip our cap and move along by getting Gordon Hayward. You've now removed that. You can't not guard Gordon Hayward. So if Giddy is having one of those games and it, let's say he's zero for four and they're like, all right, we got to change things up. You throw Hayward in there for him. Pretty similar player as far as their defensive ability, the way they can handle and pass the ball, but Hayward can really shoot it. So that's really important. Now it's Gordon Hayward. So we got a caveat with he's got to be healthy, but the Thunder didn't give up all that much to go get him. They gave up a couple of their second round picks. Fine. They, I think they still got, I think they came into the day with 21 second round picks. So an absurd amount that can't use all of them anyway. And the only guy who was in their rotation that they gave up was Vasily Misich. And they've got some other uh, players who can fill that ball handler role. So I think the Thunder did quite well in getting Gordon Hayward here. And then, Gives them a little bit of optionality for the summer. Right now, I'm projecting them to go the cap space route, but some of that will get eaten up if they re-sign Hayward. If he's healthy and proves to be a good fit, maybe they just say, yeah, we'll just stay over the cap and then do our moves that way. But but Oklahoma City is, you know, they're in a good position, and they definitely got better uh, yesterday at the trade deadline. Dallas made a move for PJ Washington pulling, you know, they flipped that Grant Williams trade sort of sounds like they uh, are, are punting that. That was a, a bad contract that they, they yeah, they're, they're not uh, being very kind to Grant Williams on his way out the door with some of the things that are coming out this morning. And they also brought in Daniel Gafford from Washington. Uh, they're, they're like the only team in the play in or thereabouts that really made a significant move. Um, do you, do you like the two pieces that they came in? I've heard differing opinions on the, the things I listen to and read. I'm curious what your thoughts are with that, those two additions. Sorry, the, the puppy is spotted. I think it's a squirrel and he's about to lose his mind. Um, so I, uh, um, <laughs> so if we hear him barking, that's why, um, we, uh, the Dallas moves, I, I love them. And, and let's, let, let me go back because I, I kind of didn't finish on Charlotte. So let me finish on them uh, real quick because they're related in this Dallas uh, move here. Charlotte did well. They, they needed to start kind of moving in a new direction. 
getting in some additional draft capital for Hayward and for PJ Washington is good stuff. Um, yes, they gave up a couple seconds in the Washington trade, but they added a first, which is really good. The first has ridiculously uh, low protections on it. And it's important to note that first is maybe uh, Luka Doncic could be gone by then if things don't go well in Dallas. I don't, I don't think that'll happen, but you know they did good to push that pick out a little bit. Grant Williams will help them. I think he's a guy who who he'll be a helpful role player for them. He's got a lot more uh, playoff experience and winning under his belt than most of that roster has. I think Misich and Mann are are interesting players for the Hornets. They they need extra point guard depth because Lamelo Ball has been unable to stay healthy, and they kind of cleaned up their salary sheet a little bit there. They're hinting that they're probably going to re-sign Miles Bridges. So right now, I'm projecting them to stay over the cap. But if that changes, they could go in a different different direction and have cap space. All right, going to Dallas. I love what they did. I think P.J. Washington is pretty good. I don't know that he's a massive upgrade over Grant Williams, but it sounded like they just – Grant Williams wasn't working out. It sounds like there was a lot of personality stuff there that wasn't working. So you might as well move to a similar player, a similar-ish contract, it move in that direction. So I think the PJ Washington pickup is a good one for them. I think he'll eventually start for them. Wouldn't be surprised though if they stick with Derek Jones Jr. for now. Washington's also a little bit more athletic than Williams is, so they can use him in some of the uh, trap and recover type schemes that Jason Kidd likes to use. Then Daniel Gafford, massive get for them. They now have Derek Lively, Gafford, and Dwight Powell. That's 48 quality center minutes, if, even if Powell is your third center in that rotation. So that's big. Gafford's had a really nice year. I think a lot of people have kind of missed it because he's in Washington and people aren't really paying a lot of attention to the Wizards. But they gave up a pick. They, they um, I guess they gave up some protections on a pick that they were working with the Thunder on and the Thunder um, you know, freed up a pick that, that will go over to uh, – to Washington ultimately, and they gave up Rashawn Holmes. Holmes wasn't playing for the Mavs, though. So you turn Holmes, who wasn't playing, into Gafford, who will be a great backup center for them, and probably will start some because Derek Lively, the one knock on him this year has been he's had a little bit of trouble staying on the floor. So I, I think you know Dallas had, had a really good day too. Philadelphia 76ers brought in Buddy Heel from Indiana in the three-teamer. They also brought in Campaign, sent out. Patrick Beverly to Milwaukee. They acquired a second round pick because they sent Jaden Springer to Boston. So Philadelphia was quite active and they still left themselves open to having cap space next season because Buddy Heald isn't expiring. Uh, Campaign isn't expiring, I believe. Uh, So does, does this mean that, uh, we may expect Embiid to come back, and they're they're pushing their chips in to bring in some other pieces, and but still keep the the cap space for next year. How are you reading Philadelphia's moves yesterday? Yeah, it's it's interesting because the Beverly one is the weird one where it's like, okay, the Buddy Hield one, I get, I, I get uh, moving off Jade Jaden Springer, uh, but the Beverly one, then it's like, what happened here? Um, that that one just seemed a little odd. Um, that it kind of went the way it went because yeah they got a second round pick out of it so i guess they're looking at it as hey we need somebody who could come in and really maybe push the offense and run run us get get us going i think they're going to play very up tempo 
while Embiid is out. Maxi's one of the fastest players in the league. Buddy Heald's a guy who has excelled in the past playing in, in an up-tempo system. So I th- think we'll see um, them really push the ball. And campaign fits with that better than Beverly does. And then Beverly goes off to the box, and he you know, ideally will be help to their defense, which has really, really struggled this season. But back to the Sixers. Daryl Morey was trying to thread an extremely difficult needle where he was basically saying, hey, I want to add to this team, but I am not going to eat into our flexibility at all. And at the end of the day, I think he was able to do it. Buddy Heald is a really good pickup for them. If it works out great in Philadelphia, they can resign him. If it doesn't work out, they can they can move on from him. They could uh, you know, bring him back at a lower number. Uh, he's starting to get up there a little bit in years. So you know, maybe he, he can go for a lower number in exchange for more years. He helps right now with him beat out because, like I said, I think they'll play very fast and he'll be good, good in that sense. And then when Embiid returns, he'll be good then too because he'll he'll be a good floor spacer who helps op- open things up for Maxi, for Embiid, for Tobias Harris, and guys like that. So uh, the Springer trade too, really good work. You get a second round pick uh, by basically more or less kind of salary dumping him on Boston in a sense. And what that does is that puts the Sixers in position. Next summer. So it's it's hilarious. Go please go look at their cap sheet, the multi-year view on Spot Track. Because you're gonna see Joel Embiid and really nothing else that's guaranteed to be on there. Tyrese Maxey will be here. We know that. Um, but right now he's not guaranteed to be there uh, because he, he's a restricted free agent next year. But Philly, if they're in a spot where let's say they clear out Paul Reed and DeAnthony Melton, they could have over sixty-three million dollars in cap space. So that is pushing you know that's a max plus a couple more signings add those guys to a beat and maxi and all of a sudden you know we're looking at all right this team is pretty good and off we go so so they're really set up to do a lot of different stuff uh this summer um and and i don't think anything that they did necessarily made themselves really worse uh this week marcus morris was playing a role for them but i'm guessing they feel like they they can cover what he was giving them but you know, all around, I think you know Philly did a pretty good job in a in a weird spot with their state of goals and in a weird spot with Joel Embiid out. The other team that I was kind of impressed with was the Phoenix Suns with what they did. They they flipped four of their minimum salary contracts that they signed in the offseason for Royce O'Neal, so that gives them some solid depth defending. Um, thoughts on that three team trade that included Memphis that snuck in there as well. Yeah, I think getting Royce O'Neal, which gives them that big wing that they needed in Phoenix. They didn't have that guy on the roster, at least somebody that they were comfortable with. In theory, they that should have been Keita Bates-Diop. It should have been Yuta Watanabe. But those guys weren't playing regularly for the Suns. So they took four guys who were out of their rotation. They turned it into O'Neal. who should be a rotation player not moving forward. He's also got a contract that is pretty re-signable as he'll be a free agent this summer. So I think they'll be able to get him re-signed. And then the nice thing is when they do that, that'll give them them a little bit of tradable salary into next year. They also picked up David Roddy, who's a kind of a good flyer for Phoenix. You see if something pops for him, maybe it'll work out better for him than it did in Memphis. For the Grizzlies, they move out from under uh, Roddy's money. Uh, they get off that deal. Uh, they Watanabe 
he's a fan favorite there. They loved him in Memphis when he was there previous, so they're going to be happy to keep him around. There are already reports they're going to waive Chemezi Metu, and then they're going to actually sign Gigi Jackson, who's on a two-way contract and has way outplayed that. So much like they did with Vince Williams Jr. a couple months back or a month or so back, they're going to do something similar with Gigi Jackson. That'll put him on a really nice value contract going forward. Then for the Nets, they're, they're – Part of this was they get three second-round picks uh, from the Suns. This is why the Suns did everything they did over the summertime, which was, hey, we're going to trade you swap rights in the first round for an actual second round. They did that so they could do a deal like this where it was, let's send out multiple second-rounders. So considering you had uh, relatively little to work with, Phoenix did a really nice job. Uh, you know, a dad, Roy Sonio. All right, let's finish off with these trades with – some tax reductions. We saw Men, uh, Milwaukee send Robin Lopez out to Sacramento, and they're just receiving cash back. So uh, that helps reduce their luxury tax by, I think it was, what, $5.8 million or somewhere around there. And then uh, Golden State snuck in there with sending Corey <laughs> Joseph out to Indiana for a second-round pick, and they are saving over $13 million on their luxury tax. So very last-minute moves for some high-tax-paying teams. Um, Is there anything else to read into those two moves? No, let's pause on the Joseph one for a minute because I think this is just instructional to help people understand where things are at with the Warriors. When you pile into the second apron and you have that much money and you're a repeater team, Corey Joseph's cap and tax hit, was $2 million this year. But the actual hit to the Warriors is $13 million because of where they're at uh, tax-wise. So they saved $13 million by moving a $2 million player, basically six and a half times where they're at. That's what what every dollar is for the Warriors. Now, they're going to have to add a guy or two because they're sitting on an open roster spot that they're going to have to fill. So they're going to eat into that tax savings a little. But just remember, every dollar they spend the rest of this year, let's say it's a prorated $1 million minimum deal that they sign. It's really going to cost them about $6.5 million in uh, real dollars. Boston also did a small uh, salary slash roster clearing move. Uh, they sent Delano Banton off to the Portland Trailblazers. So that was uh, a deal that was basically set up to um, clear room so they could bring in Jaden Springer while also being in a spot where they have um, a room under uh, the, the, the luxury tax or under the roster limit rather, sorry. And it's a little bit of a luxury tax savings by getting off band. They'll, they'll be a player for someone in the bio market, or maybe they'll convert uh Nemias Keda. Who's really played pretty well for them on his two way contract. All right, Keith, it is now officially buyout season. Uh, you gave me a bunch of names. We updated it with names after all the trade dust has settled We've updated the players that you originally had with updated information, whether they were traded or unlikely to work out a buyout like Evan Fournier or Gordon Hayward. Uh, So what are the new names that we can look forward to potentially seeing as a buyout uh, candidate and um, where things are headed? Yeah, I'm I'm not going to read the article to to everybody, so go go, (laughs) go check it out. But new names that hit the market that weren't necessarily – uh, overly expected Spencer Dinwiddie, Marcus Morris. Uh, those are guys that I think can can still help teams. They're a little bit older. 
uh, players there, but that's generally what the buyout market is. It's older players that are looking to catch on somewhere and, and you know, fulfill a role. Uh, both guys have played a lot this year. Dinwiddie's been a starter all year uh, for the Nets, so that, I think he's somebody that uh, teams are – we're already hearing the reports that teams are trying to push to, to get him to catch on with them. Morris, I think, is a guy that teams will come around to. If, hey, we need a little bit of front court depth and we can use a little bit of pop. Uh, scoring wise off our bench, let, let's go. And then um, younger guys like Killian Hayes, uh, somewhat of a surprise uh, cut. I I, I uh, equated it to for anybody who's a Moneyball fan, like I am, the film version. Um, it was the 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 equivalent, the NBA equivalent of you can't play Pena, um, you know, mm-hmm. anymore because that was uh, what uh, was happening in the movie. Uh, Carl Spain yep. was being played. They wanted Scott Hatterberg. And Killian Hayes has been playing an awful lot. And a lot of Pistons fans are like, good Lord, would you please play Jaden Ivey and Marcus Sasser instead of Killian Hayes? So he's out now, 22 years old. Let's be completely realistic here. He is not developed in his four NBA years. He's been bad. He's been a bad player. He can't shoot. His playmaking is okay, but it's not enough. But he's only. But how much is the, Keith, I'm going to interject there. How much of that is the Detroit Piston organization? Like if he goes to another team that, you know, heat culture, not that he's necessarily going to go there, but if you go to a team that is very good at developing like Oklahoma city or Miami, you know, is there a potential that you've, from what you've seen on the court for him, could he turn it around or is he just that far gone at this point? That's what we're going to find out is, is this a Pistons thing or was this a Killian Hayes thing? Because let's say he lands with Miami or Memphis or San Antonio where they're, player development has been top notch. We're going to see if all of a sudden he turns into something really good. We're all going to have an awful lot of questions about the Detroit Pistons and what they did with them over the last four years. If he goes somewhere else and continues to struggle, then it's probably much more of a Killian Hayes thing. His biggest problem is he can't shoot. And when you're a point guard, if you can't shoot, you need to be elite in the other phases of the game. And he's not, he's, he's a pretty good playmaker, um, his defense is, is all right at times, but none, none of his other skills are elite to make up for the extreme lack of shooting that, that he has. So, you know, but again, 22 years old, point guards may take a while. I want to see a team that's a good player development staff uh, grab him. So he's not your typical type of buyout guy where it's, hey, get this guy in to make a title run. But he's an interesting name just because we don't usually see guys like this shake loose. Um, uh, like that. A couple other names to keep an eye on. DeLon Wright was not traded by the Washington Wizards. They're they're very much in full-scale rebuild mode there, so it wouldn't surprise me if we saw Wright um, pop off of the Washington roster, go somewhere else. P.J. Tucker is still agitating. I think he would really like a, a buyout at this point from the Clippers, and the Clippers are probably saying, all right, how much money are you going to give back? But I think the Clippers are also looking at it again, second apron team, saying, hey, you're $11.5 million. That's a decent chunk of tradable salary for us next year. We don't really care about eating the uh, tax penalty with, with having you on the roster because in the time it took me to say that sentence, Steve Ballmer made that money. So it doesn't really matter, right? Uh, Jetty Osmond's another guy I think could shake loose in San Antonio, wasn't traded. Uh, there's a chance. And then there were a handful of guys that did get traded that probably won't be be bought out now. So you're talking about guys like Kelly Olynyk. 
Monte Morris, uh, Doug McDermott, Evan Fournier, Gordon Hayward. Those guys are probably all going to stick um, the teams that they landed on, and they'll, they'll probably uh, you know play out the rest of this year uh, on those teams. Some of them you know maybe carry into next year. Those are uh, slightly different situations, but then then obviously everybody knows Kyle Lowry hasn't happened yet. Little surprising, maybe hasn't happened yet, but you know that might have been maybe he went to bed early last night or something. Who knows? But Kyle Lowry's going to get a bio from the Hornets, and then all indications are he's probably headed to Philadelphia, uh, which is home for him, and that that'll be uh, probably the the, the you know, last run of his career, if not uh, very close to it. Yeah, the last thing I want to mention here is Spencer Dinwiddie with his salary that he had. There are seven teams that he is not allowed to go to That's- because it's over the non-taxpayer mid-level exception there. Uh, I had a conversation last night with Mike about this because he was like, I can't believe he's going to be able to go to some of these contenders. And I said, whoa, no, his salary's too high. He can't go to some of those teams. So keep that in mind. Those salaries are important now moving forward, especially for those teams above that first apron. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So those uh, seven apron teams are the Boston Celtics, the Denver Nuggets, Golden State Warriors, LA Clippers, Miami Heat, Milwaukee Bucks, and Phoenix Suns. None of them did anything that got themselves out of being an apron team as far as deadline moves go. So they are limited. The only players they can sign that got waived are guys who made uh, less than $12.405 million. So a little bit more than $12.4 million, but essentially $12.4 million. So a guy like Dinwiddie, yeah, he can't go to any of those teams. So that's why you've got a handful of these other teams really looking into, all right, let's try to get on this guy and, and get him in here. Um, you know, whether that be teams like the Lakers or the Timberwolves or the 76ers, um, they're all in position to do the, do those things. And then that doesn't mean, you know, Boston, Golden State, uh, the Bucks, the Suns, they all have open roster spots. They're going to do something to probably fill those roster spots out. It's just not going to be, you know, a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie or if, uh, or even like a guy like Joe Harris, who was waived by the Pistons. He made $19.9 million. So even one of those teams, if they're like, man, Joe Harris is the perfect shooter for us, they can't add him. They, they, none of those teams are in play for Kyle Lowry because he makes $29.7 million. So it, it, it doesn't matter. And one last thing, thing to note, because I was asked this several times in the last couple of days, let's use a guy like Kyle Lowry as an example. He makes $29.7 million. Let's say in his buyout, he gave back $20 million and became a $9.7 million player. It doesn't work that way. He's still considered $29.7 million for this specific rule uh, towards who can sign him. So that they, they, they made sure when they put this in, they closed that loophole down of, hey, you can't give up just enough to get under the, the $12.4 million this season and then go join whoever you want. That's not a thing. It goes off whatever they're current salary is not what it gets reduced to yeah that's a great point keith uh all right moving on for you i am going to let you go right because i know you have a (laughs) slew of uh trades to still write up and then i know on the back side of that you will be having your spending power which you've already tweeted out this morning Uh, you've already done all that lead work leg work now that uh some of these transactions have fallen through so we will also get that updated on the site uh, as we have as our practical cap space for the future here. Uh, anything else you got, Keith, before we get out of here? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we've got that. If I have some more thoughts on the trade deadline that are a little bit more scattered about things that are just kind of higher level stuff, I might get into it. Right now, we're focused on get a handful of deals to finish up the, the analysis on. And then maybe I'll do something about the teams that didn't do anything because there were a handful of teams that, that did nothing. Uh, during trade season and kind of, kind of sat it out entirely. So, so I, I may get into something like that, but um, I'm looking forward to, you know, everything we got coming now. Now it's time to, to, it, it, it sounds insane, but we start turning our eyes to next season, right? And we start looking at what's, what's going on next year. Well, what is some, we'll get back into our next contract series pieces, which I love writing those. Those are really fun to, dive into and there's some really interesting guys that are in really interesting spots either for free agent contracts or potential extensions so we've got a lot of great stuff coming trade deadlines behind us but it, it, the nba never stops transactionally so we, we've got a lot more to go all, all the way through uh through through in uh, through the beginning of the offseason and you know as the offseason gets cranking great work keith at keith smith nba on x twitter uh, front office show. You guys are not doing a front office show live today, correct? Uh, we're going to see. Probably not. Um, we're, we're both working around a couple things, and it was a uh, it, it was a late night for both of us. Uh, I, I was not expecting Trevor to answer a text from me at about 3.30 in the morning, but he did. Um, and that's 3.30 in the morning East Coast time. Um, but he did answer, so I, I know he's short on sleep too. So I think we, we may do a recorded show a little bit later, but, but we'll see. We're it kind of, if, if we're feeling like, ah, let's just go live and see who pops in. But cool thing yesterday, super uh, appreciative of, of you, you and the guys at Spot Track of, of adding the show to, to the site. We had nearly 10,000 people tune into the show live, and we've had over 30,000 people view the show on replay since then. So uh, we have tremendous amount of support for the show. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely, Keith. Great work. Happy writing for Keith Smith. I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.